Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The rain thudded on the station roof in a relaxing beat. Since it was raining, that meant there wasn't much to be done in the way of work. So the three of us who were on park ranger duty that night decided to relax, order some Chinese food, 
and just hang out. Definitely not a bad way to spend an evening at work. And here in New Mexico, where the parks had both cooler climates to the north and deserts to the south, there was no shortage of impressive scenery. Milo, Isaac, and I were sharing some takeout from a local place we frequented. It was as good as it always is, and after we'd finished, we sat around and chatted about nothing in particular. For some reason, the conversation turned to our backgrounds and how we arrived at being park rangers here. I had just offered my own story when Isaac turned to Milo. You're very quiet Milo. Not fond of walking down memory lane, are you? It was a simple question. I'd also noticed Milo wasn't a bit talker about the past since we started working together over the years. We were all in our late 30s by now, and while we'd all chatted plenty of times, there was still a lot we didn't know about each other. Milo paused while he considered the question. No, he eventually said with a small chuckle. I guess I'm not. Nothing wrong with that, Isaac offered. To each his own. I guess. I just don't realize how little I talk about the past. Or that I never told you why I moved out here. No, he didn't. And I didn't push the issue. Just like I don't push most people on what they don't want to talk about. I've learned that no matter what people say they want to talk about, if they want to discuss something, they will. If not, forget it. And we all learned pretty quick that there were certain things Milo didn't want to discuss. And that's just fine with me. There are things I don't particularly like to talk about. So Isaac and I sat there quietly as Milo wrestled with whatever it was the past meant to him. I'm originally from Virginia, Milo said. The southern side of the state. I liked it there. Have a lot of good memories there overall, but I moved out here, close to where the desert is, to get away from the woods. I love nature, but the woods are a different story. I like being able to see whatever is out there. That's what I love so much about the desert. It is exactly what you see. Bad things can happen in the desert, but you know that up front. It's dry, it's hot, and rattlesnakes and scorpions can be found there. The woods though? No telling who or what may be out there. I won't deny I was lucky once because of the woods, but I was worried that was my one bit of luck. And it's not good enough to be lucky in the woods once. He had a point there. So I left the area for good. I was a park ranger out there. I was still pretty new at the job when it happened. I remember it was a few days after a nasty thunderstorm. And it seemed freezing cold that night. Not that it actually was that cold, it just felt like it. There was a ton of fog that night, and it surrounded the trees. It was a very cool sight. Not that the woods out there weren't always a sight to behold, because they were. Whether it was fall and the leaves were turning orange, or it was winter, and the trees were all coated with snow and ice, I always found something new to appreciate and behold. That night was no different. Because I appreciated what the woods could mean on a completely different level. What happened? I asked. I went out to the store. Just by myself. For some routine errands. I came back, and everything was quiet. But that was normal. It wasn't until I opened the door to the ranger station and saw the whole place had been trashed that I knew something was up. Everything was completely destroyed, and my colleagues Billy and Howard were nowhere to be found. There was no sign anyone had been injured, 
but I could feel it in the air that something was up, and it wasn't good. And while there are a lot of things I can't quite recall about that night, I can tell you that I had never felt so alone or isolated, and I haven't since. But the most frightening part was that I wasn't alone. Not really. Because whoever was responsible was still out there. I just didn't know where. Being out there in the woods, you realize sooner or later that it has been host to a lot of bad things, and you're just the latest chapter. All the things people have done out there over the centuries, with nothing but the trees and scenery to watch. Well, I decided that the trees were gonna see me escape. And other parts of the scenery were going to help. So I picked up a rock and hurled it as far as I could to distract whoever was out there. I heard it thud a ways away. And while I was picking up a few more rocks for use later, I listened for the sound of someone going after it. When I heard nothing, I decided to take a few more steps. And then a few more. Then I stopped. And fell. You fell? I asked. He slowly nodded. I didn't realize it at the time, but all the recent storms had caused some flooding. It had gone away by that night, but it had the side effect of exposing a pit in the woods that had previously gone unnoticed. And I fell right in. I didn't fall far, but when it's pitch dark out, you don't know exactly where you are, and someone trashed the ranger station you work in and is out there in the dark with you, it seems like forever. I landed on a mix of hard rock and wet soil, so it wasn't too bad. It was the darkness that was the worst. Even after I took out the small flashlight I had on my belt, it seemed so thick. But I had no choice but to keep going and follow the tunnel in the cave I'd landed in. It was small, and the edges were rough and damp, but it didn't look like anyone had been in the cave I found myself in for a long time. The rain outside seemed to let up as Milo continued with his story. The cave seemed endless. Every time I thought I'd reached the end, there was another tunnel. On and on. And the longer I was down there, the more I started to get afraid. Afraid that I was stuck down there. Afraid that the other end would be boarded up. Or that whoever was out there would realize where I'd gone and would track me down there. So I did my best to ignore those thoughts and keep moving. I eventually came to an opening in the cave, but any sense of relief was gone when I saw that it opened up into a massive space, and it was filled with water. Water that I could barely see anything in even with my flashlight. The only way to get across it was by a narrow path that just barely reached the surface. A large section of the cave floor was elevated, and that was the part that made the path that remained above water, while the rest of the room seemed to be flat, and that's where the water was. So, with no choice, I carefully started walking across to the other side, where the path went on far beyond where I could see. It was slow going. I don't think I've ever been more careful walking across anything in my life. The path was just large enough for one person to walk across, and if I fell, I would go straight in the water, and I had no idea how deep it was. Or what was in it for that matter. So I took it super slow step by step. And gradually, I made progress. Even though one time, I took a step, slipped a tiny bit, and almost fell in the water. I caught myself, but it was a close call. Eventually, I made it to the other side of the cavern, and when I did, I had to stop and catch my breath for a moment. The humidity in the space was stifling, 
so I was drenched by then. But when I eventually kept on walking, the atmosphere got less damp, and it actually felt a bit cool in the other parts of the cave. And, as time went on, I felt I was actually moving upwards. Then, I could feel things start to get lighter and clearer, until I arrived at an opening in the cave wall and stepped through it. It took me a moment to figure out where I was, but I did, and I was shocked. Somehow, the cave had led me to an opening in the basement of the Rolling Springs Mall. Milo paused for a moment before continuing. The Rolling Springs Mall was a local mall about 30 minutes outside of the town I grew up in. It wasn't the closest one to where I lived back then, but it was close enough that I had spent plenty of time there as a kid. It was your typical blast from the past mall from the 80s and 90s that began to struggle once we arrived in the 2000s and closed in about 2005. A real shame too. It was such a fun place. But isn't that how it always is? I nodded in understanding. You got that right. We all have a mall like that in our memory. Milo chuckled. No doubt. Using my flashlight, I could see that the basement wall was pretty flimsy, and the elements had gone a long way to break down the surface. The opening I'd stepped through was a tiny sliver in the wall you would walk right past if you didn't know it was there, especially in the dark. And as I stepped outside of the basement and began to explore the mall, that's actually when I started to get the most uneasy. So I kept a close watch on what was around me. Not that there was much to see. The mall by that point had been pretty well abandoned, with only the faintest remnants of the thriving retail center I remembered from years before. It didn't take me long to realize that the first floor was boarded up tight. But then I remembered something, the mall was two floors. So I went to the escalators, which were situated right at the very center of the complex. As I quietly headed there, I remembered a fountain used to be right next to them. And I was right, but all that remained was the indentation in the ground from where the fountain used to be. But the escalators were still there, motionless and silent after all these years. Then he took a deep breath before continuing. But as I started going up the steps, I suddenly felt so uneasy. Like I was being watched. I was beyond on edge as I climbed up the escalator, and I couldn't wait to reach the top. Milo paused for a sip of water before he kept talking. The second floor of the mall was wide, but it was easy to look around and see everything. This part wasn't anywhere near as dark or boarded up as the first floor, so there was more natural illumination from the skylight here. I could see all the vacant storefronts sitting there silently. But one caught my eye. It was halfway down the corridor going to the left, and the security gate was pulled down in front of what was once the store entrance. If I recall correctly, the store used to be a bookstore. So, naturally, I took a second look. And when I did, I almost yelled in shock. It was my fellow rangers Billy and Howard who'd gone missing from the ranger station. I was happy to see them, but then I saw their expressions in the glare from my flashlight. They looked terrified as if they had been expecting something, or someone, much worse. So I ran up to them, and saw they both looked a little beat up, but otherwise okay. They immediately told me someone had knocked them out and they'd woken up in there, that the gate was locked, and the person responsible had gone off somewhere. Since they had no idea when or if whoever had done this would be back, 
I grabbed some tools off my belt and fiddled with the lock at the bottom of the gate. I'd had some experience with this, as being a locksmith ran in my family, so it took a minute or two, but eventually the old lock clicked, and I threw the gate open. Then Billy and Howard rushed out of there before I led them down the escalator and towards the basement. We were halfway down the basement steps when we heard a slam from the far end of the mall, then another slam as the door at that end closed. Milo sighed deeply for a moment. We all stood there quietly for a minute as we heard the thud of thick boots walking on the floor. They steadily went towards the escalator steps and began climbing them. That's when we knew we had to silently slip into the basement and go back through the cave. We managed that okay. But as Billy climbed through the opening as Howard and I'd done, we heard a loud crash come from somewhere inside the mall and knew that meant whoever that was knew something was up. So we ran through the cave as fast as possible until we could all carefully cross the space that had been flooded. The three of us had all just made it across when we heard footsteps approaching from somewhere at the far end of the cave. So we all hid behind some rock formations and waited. It seemed to take forever, but in reality, it didn't take long for me to see the footsteps belong to a massive figure that was dressed in a ski mask and thick leather boots and carried a thick flashlight. I watched from where I was as the figure looked around before trying to walk across the room. Whoever it was didn't get far, because I guess those boots weren't exactly good on the narrow path, because the figure slipped right off and landed in the water with a loud splash. None of us moved as whoever it was swore and tried to get back onto the ledge. But as that happened, I heard something else. The sound of something moving quietly in the water. Then the figure started yelling in pain before they splashed frantically around. Then came more yelling, and thanks to the flashlight, which was floating nearby in the water, I saw the cause of the yelling. There were snakes swimming around nearby. Snakes that I recognized immediately as cotton mouths although they are known by other names. We all watched as the figure got bit several more times and tried to get out of the water. The stranger eventually succeeded, but the combination of being bitten like that, being soaking wet, and the adrenaline of the moment meant that after a few steps, the figure wound up falling and landing headfirst onto a nearby rock formation. Milo visibly shuddered at the memory and was quiet for a moment before he finished the story. We eventually got out and carefully maneuvered around the figure and returned to the mall. This time, we could see the entrance the stranger had gotten in and out of and used it to get out and get to a nearby gas station to call for help. We told them what had happened, and they found the figure, just where we'd left him. Between the snake bites and the head injury, the guy didn't make it. But they did figure out later he was wanted in connection with other violent crimes in three neighboring states. I left that park soon after, and Billy and Howard did the same. Because there's one thing about that night I still can't stop thinking about. Know what it is? What's that? I asked. Billy and Howard have no memory of seeing anyone else, and since there's no evidence to the contrary, people say he acted completely alone. That very well could be true. Or maybe he had an accomplice somewhere, or someone else who was in on it. I've kept in touch with a few friends from back home, and people have been known to discuss rumors the stranger didn't act alone. That could also be true. But that's not what keeps me up at night. It's the fact that regardless of if the guy in the ski mask acted alone or not, 
There are plenty of people out there just like that. Whether we know who they are or not. That was one of the most frighteningly accurate things I've ever heard. So it's been over a year, and I still think about this to this day. I'm new to Reddit. This will be my second post, and I have no idea which subreddit I should post this to. I'm Native American, part of the Kur Delane and the Oglala Sioux tribe, and I believe in a lot of Native American folklore like Stick Indians, Skinwalkers, and the Goat Man. I grew up listening to elders tell me stories about them, but I have never heard a story about a dancing dog. So, back when I was in a toxic relationship, I was arguing with my boyfriend at night. I was outside his house, and I ended up walking home crying. He lived pretty far from my house, so the walk was at least 20 to 30 minutes. I was crying until I made it to a street that wasn't too far away from my house. I crossed some train tracks, and out of the bushes, I saw a giant wolf walk in front of me. It scared me so bad that I stopped crying and started to panic. Once I realized I was fine, I continued walking. I only took maybe 10 steps before I heard a growl in my ear. It was loud. I decided to ignore it, put my headphones in, and told myself I was almost home and that I would be okay. Now I'm two blocks away from my street, and there's a dim streetlight at the end of my street that I can see. As I'm walking, I see a dog walking into the light of that streetlight, and then it stands up on its hind legs and dances into the woods. Its paws go up and down like it was a dance it was doing. At this point, I'm scared, so I run as fast as I can and make it to my street, scared it was gonna come out of those woods and get me, but it never did. The whole reason I'm writing this now is to know if anyone has ever heard of a dancing dog. The only thing I can think of is that it was a skinwalker. This happened last night, I'm still pretty freaked out. We're up at my father-in-law's for Christmas. He lives in South Jersey, in a petty remote area just north of Burn State Forest. It's quiet and always a little eerie, but felt especially weird with the overcast weather and unseasonable warmth of the last few days. We did Christmas dinner at my brother-in-law's and got back pretty late. Because of the radiator heat and outside temps we slept with the window open. I woke up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and as I was drifting back to sleep, heard a low wail, building in volume for a few seconds before stopping abruptly. Figured it was just an odd sounding bird and tried to go back to sleep. It happened twice more over the course of maybe 5 minutes. I was basically able to put it out of my head and start drifting back to sleep, when I heard a loud, shrill blast like a too high elephant's trumpet. At that point I shot up, heart racing. I knew I had to close the window and took a beat to build up to it. When I dragged myself out of bed, I peeked through the shutters before I reached to shut the pane. Whatever it was had tripped a motion sensor light at the back of the property, and was half illuminated, standing maybe 100 feet from the back door right at the tree line. It was cloaked with its head partially shrouded, the bottom of its face looked flat and round like the back of a dinner plate, with another smaller, half-uncovered black circle at its center. I immediately slammed the window shut and it didn't move, just stood there with its face tilted towards the window. 
I shut the blinds and crept into bed and basically hid until the sun came up. I didn't hear any more sounds. I dared another look out the window after dawn and the figure was gone, and I managed to drift back to sleep for a few hours. Has anyone seen anything like this or know what it might be? Frantically googling but nothing really coming up. Hello, I want to share with you an encounter that I had two years ago. I practice a lot of hiking and trekking in the western Sierra Madre in Mexico. On one of my excursions, I walked a whole day to reach a flat terrain where camping is allowed, and there are designated areas to make a bonfire. I was accompanied by another hiker. As night fell, we lit the bonfire and sat down to have dinner around it. It was the end of November, and it was already somewhat cold, with several species of trees having lost their leaves. Out of nowhere, my partner jumped up, saying there was a bear. Honestly, I couldn't see anything. I had to wait a few seconds for my eyes to get used to the darkness where my partner said he saw the bear. We pointed the lamp at the place, and indeed, there was something behind a pine tree on the other side of the field, about 30 meters away where the forest began again. It seemed strange to me that it was on two legs. Bears can stand, too, but only for a moment. I stood up, and just as there is a paw passing, as if hugging the tree, I can see part of its face. I swear that was not the paw of a bear, and from the distance, its face seemed to be panting as if excited. Its eye, visible in the flashlight, glowed yellow, and it was there without moving, just watching, what bear does that? It was five minutes from that moment. We blew our emergency whistles loudly, and to our surprise, it slowly retreated towards the forest where it was standing. At that moment, we saw in profile that it was not a bear. It had no hair on its torso, it looked like dry skin. Its jaw seemed to stick out too much, and its ears were small, seeming attached to its head. We entered the camping house, and we couldn't sleep. When we saw that it was daylight, we went out and approached the place. Calculating with the tree where it was standing, we believed that it was just over 2 meters, 6 feet. There were three prints, all three of a canine slightly larger than my hand. That's my experience. This happened to me over the weekend during a hunting trip. I spent last night trying to Google and figure out what the hell I saw. I haven't found anything that doesn't seem like conspiracy craziness so I'm open to any suggestions. A family friend has a few hundred acres in Tennessee. Once a year my dad, uncle, me, and the guys in the family that own the land go on a week-long hunting trip. They have a cabin and a trailer tucked away at the edge of the mountain that we stay at during the week. There is no running water and we use a generator for lights during the evening. Phone service is non-existent out there. The nearest town is Murphy, Tennessee which is about 50 minutes away by car. Typically, we get out to tree stands or ground blinds around 4 a.m. and then come back to the camp around 9-ish, grab something to eat, and nap and then head back to hunt until sundown. All week my uncle and I hunted the same plot. It was on the east side of the property and took about 20 minutes by four-wheeler. We would park the four-wheeler in this big clearing and then the ground blind I was hunting from is another 15 minutes or so by foot. 
It's a rough 15 minutes too. I basically walk along this ridge line on the side of the mountain and the blind is set just inside the underbrush of a tree line that overlooks an opening at the start of a river. My uncle was hunting in a blind that was a little closer walk and probably 30 minutes away from me. We hunted the same spot Sunday to Thursday. Thursday evening we were all drinking beer and hanging out by the fire. My uncle having not seen anything all week wanted to go to the plot my dad was hunting. It's like a 30 minutes walk from the camp you don't even need a four-wheeler to get there. I had killed a deer the first afternoon there and seen a bunch of does that evening right before sunset so I wanted to stay where I was. So Friday morning after we hunted I helped him pack up his blind and ride it out to the plot my dad had been on and helped him get set up for that evening. I took the four-wheeler by myself that afternoon and continued hunting the same ground blind. Same thing as I had done all week everything was fine. Nothing out of the ordinary, until Saturday morning. I had gone out by myself again that morning and had watched a bunch of deer that crept up right before the sun started coming up. They were a bit further than I wanted to shoot and when they got closer to the edge of the river they weren't big enough or were too young for me to justify shooting. I watched them until they retreated back into the woods and at this point it's probably 8.30 am or so and the sun is fully up. Now this is an embarrassing for me, but oh well. Having spent almost an entire week packed in this trailer with two other guys and no privacy. I decided I was going to rub one out before I went back to the camp. Every hunter has done it idk if you admit it or not lol. Now I'm sitting there doing my thing and even though nobody ever walks up on you while you're hunting out there, I'm still on high alert making sure I don't get caught by one of the guys while I'm doing this. I'm laid back in this chair inside the blind basically one eye open looking out in front of me and every now and again peeking behind me through the mesh to make sure no one is coming. That's when I started hearing crunching. I knew it was people footsteps and I could tell it was more than one person. It was to my right and the mesh of the ground blind and underbrush kept me from being able to see who it was. I calmly put my junk away and quietly leaned up so when my uncle or whoever it was came up I could act like I was just sitting there hunting. Keep in mind we are so far out in the sticks that it never even occurred to me that it could be anybody other than someone I was hunting with. I listened to them walking and finally I slowly stood up and poked my head out the blind and peeked over the underbrush. It was four people walking towards the river in a line. They were wearing these black cloak looking clothes like something they wear in Harry Potter with these furry hats that covered most of their faces. Looked like some weird cult but the guy in the back of the line was completely naked. He looked disgusting. His hair was curly and way too long and he had a big beard that looked nasty like it had a bunch of leaves and shit in it. I'm bundled up with hand warmers in my pockets because it's like 25 to 30 degrees out. This guy had to be freezing. No shoes either. This is thick underbrush we're talking about walking through. Rocks jutting up from the ground and shit. No sane person is out there barefoot much less completely naked. The guy had to be 115 pounds too just completely unhealthy looking like these people had been keeping him prisoner or something. The sight of these guys was so unnerving to me that I was still standing there frozen in an awkward half stand half bent over position with my head out the blind watching them before it clicked with me I needed to slowly sit down. 
At that point they had passed the point of the blind where I couldn't see them and were walking with their backs to me towards the river. I slowly sat down and put my rifle in my lap and watched them all step ankle deep into the river. They were facing side profile away from me towards the woods and I could see two of the clothed people moving around the naked guy and one of them was standing still holding their arm out in front of them. I got the nerve to look through my scope at them and it looked like two of them were washing the guy with the river water and the other one holding their arm out holding like a chain or something. The one holding the chain was talking but way too far for me to hear any of it. After a few minutes the two doing the washing stopped and all three of them held hands around the naked guy and started moving in a circle around him while he just stood there staring ahead. They did this shit for 5 minutes at least. That doesn't seem like a long time but 5 whole minutes of watching whatever the hell that was seemed like a lifetime. Something of note. That clicked with me last night. Whatever they were doing seemed time based. My watch beeped at 9 and nearly gave me a heart attack. No way they could hear it but in my head I was picturing them all turning and looking at me. But right after my watch beeped they stopped a few seconds later so 9 on the dot. The three clothed people stepped back in a line in front of the naked guy and they walked back the way they came from. Exactly like they came in. None of them talked or broke the line they were walking in. It was terrifying because the way out for them was the first time I truly could have been in their line of sight. They never saw me though and I watched them once they passed me head back up the mountain from where I assumed they originally came from. I waited for 30 minutes or so and booked it out of there so fast. This isn't the craziest thing I've seen on these types of posts, but it's still something I can't explain. This past year, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. There was about 600 miles of the trail I hiked and camped alone. One of these sections I was alone in was in Northern California, slightly north of Shasta. I got to a beautiful spot and knew it was the best spot to set up camp. It was gorgeous, with 360 views of woods in the valley below and mountains everywhere. I could see rain on Mount Shasta. Probably my favorite campsite in NorCal. I still remember the exact mile and have some footage of the site during. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In daylight, I set up my tent, and after admiring the sunset, I went to bed. I could see outside below the vestibule when I was lying down in the tent. As I was trying to go to sleep, I saw a white light in the valley, 
maybe about a quarter to a half mile away, not right near my tent or anything. I wasn't close to any towns. In the Sierra Mountains, south of this area, I would see an occasional remote cabin in the woods, so I figured it was that. But there were no access points or dirt roads, no forest clearings, just thick woods surrounded by mountains. I looked at the light for a bit and tried to think of what it could have been, but this was pretty remote, so I didn't know. I was tired from hiking all day, so I didn't think too much of it. A little later, I looked out again and noticed another light. It was an orange light slowly circling the white light, slowly morphing in shape as it circled. I watched it for a long time, trying to understand what I was looking at. It had a very calm motion, and it was almost mesmerizing. It wasn't like a lot of people's orb or UFO experiences where it darts around and then vanishes. I eventually fell asleep. It started raining around midnight, and I looked out of my tent and still saw both lights, one white stationary light and one orange morphing light. I woke up again around 4 am to pee and walked outside my tent, and it was still there, same motion. I tried to get a video, but due to the distance and darkness, it looked like another crappy video that didn't show anything. I woke up around sunrise and looked for it, but both lights were gone. I didn't see these lights around sunset or sunrise, only in darkness. I know these would have been visible during sunrise or sunset too. I'm sure there is an explanation, but I genuinely have no clue what I was looking at. Still trying to figure it out. Unrelated, but near that area, I was walking, and to the right of the trail was some thick brush, maybe 5 to 6 feet tall. This was near the Shasta Trinity Forest area, maybe 1 to 2 days after the lights in the woods. I was hiking alone, and I noticed about 100 feet away from the brush, it was being flattened by something and moving very quickly. It was approaching the trail and was going to end up right next to me if I had continued my pace. I couldn't see what was flattening this brush, but it had to be strong. It reminded me of something you'd see in Jurassic Park. I assumed it was a bear, I still think it was, but I didn't want to surprise the bear and have a close encounter. I yelled stop. And then it stopped, completely. I remained still and waited to see what was going on, but it was completely still. And it was really quiet everywhere, total silence. I got pretty unsettled and started talking to whatever it was while I walked by. I just kept saying things like I'm going to walk by and be on my way, my friend. Hope you're having a good day. I kept walking and kept looking back, but nothing moved from that point onward. Like I said, probably a bear. Black bears are generally like big raccoons and don't want to interact with humans. But I encountered a few bears, and they always ran away when I told them to get lost. After speaking with other hikers, I noticed I met a few people who said how NorCal was a little unsettling. The SoCal desert is very windy, and the Sierra Mountains have tons of flowing streams. NorCal doesn't have as many streams or as much wind, so there is just a silence that pervades, which can feel ominous, especially in the dark. That's my explanation for the feeling, at least. But after going through the SoCal Desert, Sierra Mountains, NorCal, Oregon, and Washington, NorCal was the only section that was a little unnerving to me. And I did portions of each of these sections alone also.
in Cambria County, Pennsylvania, on Cresson Mountain, in 1965, I was exploring the woods with a friend who lived in the area. We crossed a stream at the bottom of a ravine and went uphill. Maybe a mile up the slope, in trees, we came upon a dome made of interlaced tree branches. It was tall enough for me to enter without bending over. I did so. It stank horribly. Inside we found fresh timothy grass laid out on a kind of pallet or bed on one end. There was no debris of humankind anywhere, but there were small bones and sticks. We couldn't stand the odor and backed out, then felt we were being watched from upslope. Growing nervous as dusk fell, we left, fast. We told his father about it, who dismissed it as a hobo's hutch. We'd found many of those. It was not a person who made what we'd found. We glimpsed a shadow moving and maybe a glint of eyes, too. Reflective eyes can be down to something as simple as the lurker wearing glasses, we were told, but it had felt more animal than hobo to us. One foggy Saturday morning I was again visiting my friend. We preferred roaming the woods to wandering in the town, where I lived. We were sprawled on the floor watching an old horror movie neither of us understood. It did feature a good many spooky images and a few jump scares, so it held our interest, especially with the fog that day. We heard a thump on the front door. Glancing across the living room, we saw a dog's face gazing at us through the middle of three narrow windows set high on the door. It would have had to be six or seven feet tall to peer through those windows. Its gaze shined, and we both screamed, thinking werewolf. As we gaped, it dropped down below the door's windows. Nervously, we peered out the picture window that took up most of one wall of the room. In the fog, we saw it again, moving past, just far enough away to be little more than a shadow. The thing is, it was upright. It sort of hop-walked on its hind legs, its forelegs held in front of it. This sight scared us even more. When it had vanished, headed toward the tree line, we talked about whether the thing we'd just seen could be what had made the domed nest we'd found not long back. At the time, this seemed reasonable to us. We knew, though, not to tell his parents about the huge dog thing looking in through the front door windows. We didn't want to be ridiculed again, but we did learn to be more careful when playing in the woods. Only years later did I hear about the Ohio Grass Man, a Sasquatch analog for that area where we fell within its range. Later still, western Pennsylvania began experiencing a cluster of what people called Dog Man. Supposedly, it was pretty much what my friend and I had seen as kids, peering through his front door windows and moving past his house as it went toward the trees. I'm glad we didn't encounter it directly either time, but kinda wish we'd seen it more clearly before it moved away still gives me chills thinking about being out on the mountain at dusk with something like that, or what would have happened had it gotten through the door. My friend was on a solo backpack trip through Yosemite. He started talking to a guy he met about his trip. The guy said that he used to do solo trips often but would never solo again after experiencing something horrific on his last trip. The guy said he was two days into a six-day hike in the middle of desolate wilderness when he came upon a dead man in a suit with a bullet hole in his head, and the body was very fresh. He never heard any gunshots, 
and he could not see signs of anyone else around. He was filled with dread and felt like he was being watched. Took off running back down the trail in the direction he came from. He hiked two days and two nights without rest back to the trailhead. He said the night time was the absolute worst. Every noise he heard and shadows he saw felt like something was stalking him in the dark. He told the authorities upon his return and never heard back from them. He wondered if maybe the man was shot and thrown from a helicopter. My friend said he had to stay with a group for a couple nights after hearing that story and even cut his trip a bit short, feeling spooked. When I was around 13, I lived in a semi-rural area that was surrounded by fields that backed onto a small forest. One day, I had a friend come over and we were playing about in the fields. As it started to get darker, we debated if we should go back to the house or carry on playing. We were discussing it when we saw something huge move just along the edge of the tree line by the forest, probably about 200 meter ahead of us. This is England so we don't have any bears or big wild predators. It wasn't a horse or a deer either. From what we could tell, it looked too big to be a horse or deer compared to the trees beside it and it looked like it was standing on two legs. However, because it was far away, details were hard to make out. We both felt this horrible, sudden fear and strong flight response so we legged it back to the house. From then on, I never stayed out in those fields past sunset. Out back of my neck of the woods is an old dirt road. It's hard to access unless you know how to take a turn down another old road that runs around the back of the coal mine I work at. Anyhow, if you follow that old road until you get to a T-intersection you can either turn right out to Hale Creek or left, which will take you out to Mount Coulon. Now, Mount Coulon isn't much of a town anymore. It's an outback pub and that's it. There used to once be a town there but everyone upped and left once the railway line got moved to the coast. That was the only reason the town existed for so long. Or, for as long as it did. It wasn't the start of the town though. Way back in the early 1900s gold was found in them their hills by a prospector named Thomas Coulon. He staked his claim and settled there with his family. Some local aboriginals found him and his family living on their land and weren't too happy about it. So they attacked his home throwing rocks through the windows and antagonizing him. Well, Thomas went out and shot the lot of them all dead then in a fit of grief over what he had done, sat down on his porch and blew his own brains out all over the wall behind him. Fast forward to the year 2021. I was working out at Hale Creek Mine at the time on the maintenance crew. I'd HD a big 7 nights of 12 hour shifts and had very little sleep. I had left my mining camp the following afternoon still not feeling the best but set out for the long drive back home to Morinba. Anyhow, dusk came along, then nightfall. I was driving for what seemed like forever trying to make my way back home. I was constantly looking out for the turn off on the old back road that ran up behind Guniella Mine. But it never came. I kept on driving and driving. Hours went by. I was on a very unfamiliar road. It started to bend and twist and turn all over. 
and narrow to the point that my little Kia Rio could barely get by without scratching the sides on branches of old looming trees hanging over the road. I was definitely lost. So, I pulled over to check my Google Maps. No signal. Of course. I was so confused. Did I miss the turn? I thought, maybe it's a little further up. So I pressed on and kept driving. Then, out of nowhere I see an old and worn sign off to the left of me on the side of the old dirt road, Mount Kulon 15k. I thought, thoughtful face, okay. Yep. I've gone way too far out in the sticks. Better turn around. Before I could though I saw off to my right the entrance to what looked like a cemetery with an old and rusty archway and above on the archway was in rusty wrought iron lettering. Betsy's rest. Well, my curiosity got the better of me. So I veered in there to have myself a quick squiz. Sure as shit there was a road that went in a giant U-shape around an old cemetery full of tombstones. Generations of cattle farmers and jackaroos etc. who all must have worked on the various stations in the area. It gave me the spooks pretty bad. So I got out of there quick, and made my way back onto the old back road. I kept heading back from whence I came. Hoping and praying I'll find this bloody T-intersection. Over an hour passed. And then my worst fear happened. The fuel light flickered on on my dashboard. Shit. I'm driving on this road in the absolute middle of nowhere. It's now midnight. No one will probably find me for days if I ran out of fuel. I was absolutely shitting myself. This is the outback of Australia. You run out of fuel, water, food in the outback, you've just signed your death certificate. Done and dusted. All I had was a couple sandwiches I took from the camp mess hall and a bottle of water. Better than nothing but not enough to last a couple days stranded on the side of an old back road with no phone signal. So I keep cruising along being extremely careful not to go too quickly or over accelerate around all the twists and turns. As I'm driving along this lonely road I see a shadow out of the corner of my eye. I think nothing of it though. Keeping focused on the road ahead. Then I hear it. Swooping and whooshing noises above my car. What? I look up and see what I can only describe as a giant bat creature with red eyes flying directly above my car. It startles me and makes me accelerate at a rapid rate. Yet it's flying overhead gliding effortlessly and keeping in pace with me. I'm watching my speedometer reaching neck breaking speeds and I'm bouncing all over the old and bumpy dirt road while this creature glides down to my driver's side window, looks inside at me and grimaces. Then just as it does it flies up and disappears into the night air as quickly as it had appeared. I floored that old clunker of a car of mine until my heart leapt with joy at the sign of life in that desolate hellscape. I saw the Guniella mine CHPP's lights cut through the vast and empty void of darkness. I knew then and there that I was within 10 to 15 kilometers of the intersection and turn off back home. And sure as shit, I found it. Anyhow. I managed to get all the way back home and very grateful that my clunker ran on an oily rag and the vapors in my tank kept me alive. I told my partner at the time all about the nightmare I had been through as she had been expecting me home the evening prior and it was now 6am in the morning. My phone was full of missed calls from her for which I apologized profusely for. 
I hadn't even thought to check my phone as I had had no signal for the better part of the entire journey. Part 2. Months had passed. I kept having recurring nightmares about that vile winged creature. It had entered my dreams. I awoke one night sweating in bed. My heart rate was racing. My partner asked, what's wrong? Ugh. Again? I had been waking her up late at night when I would have this horrible nightmare. The whole situation had impacted me. The desolate hellscape would re-emerge in the dark nights. Plagued by the old outback road menacing my demise with the off chance I would make one wrong move and come undone escaping that creature. Something had to be done, and I knew what I needed to do. You see, I'm a man that will openly admit that I can't overcome anything in life unless I face it head on. That's the only way I know. No use sticking your head in the sand and pretending things will just go away. So, I spoke with my partner and after much discussion, we both agreed that we would go back and investigate the back road to Mount Kulon and investigate the town itself. And to really drive the nail in, we were going to do it at night. I needed answers. I needed to know what lay at the end of that old road. And whatever else I may have missed on my first misadventure. We set out at 6.30pm and headed for the old back road. Which, now, is inaccessible. You can go take a look for yourself but the mine has shut the gate as it runs along the inside of the mine's boundary, anyhow. We were driving my partner at the time's new Mitsubishi Mirage. It was a rally beast of a car. Jokes. But it had all the kit we needed for the long drive. And we made sure we left prepared. Esky full of food, water and snacks. My toolkit in case of a breakdown. Torches. First aid kit. Two-way radio. Battery pack for phones and two-way radio. My trusty hunting knife which I kept in my side door compartment. As if I was going out there again completely unarmed with God knows what lurking out there in the dark. The first leg of our adventure was rather fun. I felt a bit like Colin McRae taking the old dirt road that twisted and turned in all directions. Slithering my way up to the T intersection. Once we got to the intersection I took the left turn to head north, and gradually west. The familiar road was as it was the same night I encountered the strange flying beast. Except tonight bought a slight amount of comfort as there was a full moon in the night sky illuminating the surrounds and edges of the road. As we approached the old cemetery I told my partner to look right. She was in awe. I asked if she wanted to go take a look but she was too nervous about it so I kept on driving along. As the night went on we came to the point of no return. The road became nothing more than a dirt track interspersed with sealed sections the local farmers had laid prior to and after crossing old relics of bridges. They were rusty and wrought iron. Sturdy. But foreboding at the same time. We crossed two of them on one stretch. One built over the coal fields railway line heading eastward to the port. Another, was over a deep ravine, the bottom was clouded by dense native plants. The road got very narrow and snaked right and left and down and up. We were in unfamiliar territory now. And I was growing apprehensive about what I would see or find. At one point I swore there was no road at all. We were basically driving through a wide open field. And I had to drive at 40 km an hour max to avoid any ruts or depressions in the bull dust. 
I was starting to think this entire trip might have been a mistake when the road then came good again to compacted dirt. A random sign appeared off to the right of the road stating we were now deep in aboriginal land and that was how it would remain until the ends of time itself. The drive went on and on. And on. Hours had passed. Were we any closer to our destination? For reference, I switched the car's function from Bluetooth headset to radio to scan the FM or AM for any signs of life. Nothing. I thought, well, I'll check again in an hour. An hour had passed so I checked again. Scanning. Scanning. A muffled and distorted voice emitted through our car. And then the sweet sound of music. It was ACDC's highway to hell. Hey. How befitting I thought to myself. I said to my partner, right love, check the signal on your phone now. She replied, two bars she immediately checked Google Maps. I parked the car in this small spot of salvation while it loaded up. According to Google Maps we were approximately 30 minutes away from a fork in the road. One way heading west out into the never never. Another, heading towards Mount Kulon. Good thing we checked. So we headed onwards. And sure enough there it was, the fork in the road. No signage indicating which way to go. Just one road slightly more compact than the other and wider. So we kept true to the road we were on and then came a faint glimmer in the distance. A faint yellow light on the horizon. As we approached the light it developed into a service station off to the left of the old dirt road with a store front that looked completely empty save for a cash register on a countertop. We were now at the main intersection. Signage indicating to head right was to head towards Collinsville. Left, out west into the never never. I came to a stop off to the right shoulder of the road on a dirt patch made by trucks that had turned here before. I checked the fuel gauge. Half a tank. I looked into that old, run-down service station scanning the area for any other signs of life outside of the faint yellow glow of the iridescent tube lights above the old and rusted bowsers that looked like they hadn't been used since the 1980s. Then, I saw a figure emerging from a back room. It was a frail old woman. Her hair tattered and distressed. It looked like we had awoken her. The time was now 11.30 p.m. She came to a stop inside the abandoned storefront. And just stood there. Staring at our car. I thought, better come forwards and ask if there's any chance of fueling up. So I pulled in and rolled down my window. She came outside into the night air and approached me with a great deal of hesitation. Excuse me, I'm so sorry if we woke you. We were just wondering if you had any fuel? She stood there glaring and studying me. Her face withered from the harsh outback climate. No. No fuel here. You better leave. Now. Something felt off. There was a tension between us. And so I said, okay, thank you. So sorry. We will leave now. Thanks again anyhow and sorry again. So I wound the window up and got out of there. We drove around the old pub in the center of what was once the town. It had multiple V-double road train trucks parked all around it. Almost like they were protecting the pub itself with a wall of steel and rubber in the desolate darkness. A picnic table with a tin roof cover appeared on the right of this massive loop road. The only road in the entire area that was sealed. And even it was rather narrow. Part 3. 
As for lighting. What lighting? This place was clearly not welcoming after dark. Albeit for two street lights in the entire area that glowed faintly only illuminating small patches of the loop road. You definitely wouldn't want to be out here with no headlights. We did the brief tour of all that was out there. Then made our way back towards the road back home. My partner said hold up. So I came to a stop again off to the side of the road back out to Morinba. She had just discovered on Google Maps a quicker way back home. This way would take us out on that old dirt road out west in the fork in the road. However, as you continued down that road for 50 kilometers you'll come to another fork in the road. Taking the leftward track will take us to the Guniella road which then headed back home. Good eye, I said to her. So on we went. The Mistubishi ran on an oily rag too. It was only a little four-cylinder powerhouse like my Kia Rio. So I felt confident we'd make it back. On the drive back it was another long and slow slog. At some points I'd have to slow to 20 km per hour to make it around tight bends and twisting and turning through the rough and thoroughfare which went between wide open cattle farming properties. Then at points the bushland would thicken around creeks and runoff areas. And you couldn't see a meter off the sides of the road. After taking the leftward turn in what was a slight fork in the road we made our way homebound. And then it happened. A large creature came bounding out from the dense bushland and right out in front of our car. I came to an abrupt stop. And there in our headlights was a massive cow. It looked at us. Then took off back into the bushland. I was a little stunned. That was close. Too close. So on we went back home. The rest of our journey was rather mundane to say the least. The only exception was an interesting stretch of road that had been well sealed and snaked through dense bushland. I was impressed by the craftsmanship of how well compacted it was. Then suddenly we were back on dirt road again. Hours on and we made it to the Guniella Road. Intersections with lighting signaling the turnoffs to local mines and explosives factories that make the bomb products for them and so on and so forth. The usual akin of the coal fields. Then we made it home as the first light of morning emitted from the horizon. Pulling into our driveway we both looked at each other, shrugged, as if to signal, WTF was that all about? Then got out of the car and headed inside. It's a strange feeling out there. It's the desolation I think. The lack of. It's what really drives the tension I guess. Any moment can be fraught with demise. But it gave me the closure that I needed to put to rest the monsters in my head. Whatever I saw that night when I made that near fatal misadventure will remain a mystery. And maybe. That is for the best. Thank you for reading. I was doing a property inspection in the winter as the sun went down. I do basic CAD drawings of properties for title companies. So I have to measure all the buildings and show where they sit, show driveways, easements and whatnot. This property was an abandoned pig farm in the middle of nowhere with a house and a number of large farm buildings. Though the house was left with the doors standing open and, being curious I stepped in and looked around. I had an immediate feeling of repulsion. There was an odor that was off but that wasn't it. I just knew something bad had gone down here and I left to start measuring. It was getting dark. 
When I measure buildings, I have a measuring wheel and I have to keep my head up to see when I'm parallel with the end of a wall. So was hurrying through the work when I tripped on something and fell in the snow. I had a headlamp on and in the snow, staring up, eyes open, not a foot and a half from my face as a frozen, dead dog with an obvious bullet wound in the side of its head. I actually let out a gasp or scream thing that was pathetic. Scared the shit out of me. When I was 16 I was on an ATV with my two older sisters, one 15 and the other 18. We were going to my grandma's which was less than 2 kilometers away from my parents place. We were traveling through our fields, but on the way, I suggested we go around the fence so we didn't have to open the gates. It was pretty much the same path just a bit off to the side. We had gates because this was our pasture for the cows. As we got to the middle of the field, we all noticed something sitting on top of the hill we were about to climb. On top of this hill, we saw what looked like a big pile of rocks. We slowed to a crawl because it looked human, we thought maybe a calf fell and was stuck. But this thing was sitting weird, basically like how Spider-Man perches over buildings, crouched down on top of a rock. As we were sitting there trying to figure out what we were seeing this thing slowly stood up and my heart sank. Its arms were long, grossly long. I screamed to stop and instantly jumped from the front of the ATV to the driver, replacing my sister. As we were switching this thing started running at us, but it was running weird. Its arms were swaying back and forth like normal runners, but because of how long the arms were it looked weird. You would think it would run on the long arms but it didn't. It was running fast. I turned around and shot off straight through the field. My sisters were screaming it was still coming but I honestly could not look back at this thing, I just said don't look at it. We rounded the corner and that's the last we saw it. As we got home I crashed the ATV into the deck trying to get in as fast as we could. We were so scared my parents actually believed us. They called all the family to warn if it was a trespasser. They said nobody had seen anything or anyone in the fields. Now I want to describe this thing, it was tall, skinny, and wore no clothes. Just a body is what we could see, grayish color, and the head wasn't shaped like a human's. We were about 30 to 40 meters from this thing. It was during the day too, and happened in Alberta, Canada.